the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If I had a faith that could move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And what he's saying is that whatever you do, whatever abilities you may possess, whatever talents you enjoy, if you're not walking, talking, breathing, reflecting love, if you had the word love, L-O-V-E, you might as well get rid of the L and get rid of the V and get rid of the E and all you've got left is the O because that's what it's worth. It's worth nothing if you don't have love. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4.7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, look underneath the chair uh, where you're seated and grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in your bulletin, there are some sermon notes. Uh, Today, uh, this text is one of the most familiar chapters in the entire Bible. It's called the love chapter. Usually, we use this chapter at a wedding, and rightfully so. But it's so much more uh, than something that needs to be used at a wedding ceremony. I believe that today is God's appointed day for you and I have the blessed privilege of learning today about what I believe is the greatest word in the Bible, the word love. And God gives us an entire chapter on this one word. Now in your notes, there's three kinds or, or different types of word in the Greek that, you know, the English language is a little bland. I don't know if you know that or not, but the Greek language is very detailed, uh, very colorful. And so we have one word love that means all kinds of things. You can say, I love, I love my car, I love my wife, and I love God in the same sentence, and it's just the word love. But in the Greek, it's far more specific. So the first uh, word uh, that we find in the Bible for love is the word 
philos, which is a word that means brotherly love. Uh, this is where uh, we get our word, uh, the city named Philadelphia, Phila, philos, the first part of the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And it's just a bond uh, that two friends have, or two brothers, two sisters. It's, it's a bond between two people. It's called philos. And then the second word in the Greek is eros. And this word means desire or longing. It's where we get the word erotic. It's a word that has to do with uh, love that's based on, on physicality or physical traits. The third uh, word in the Bible, in the Greek, uh, that's translated into the English word love is the word agape. And agape is selfless or sacrificial. It's, it's not uh, impulse generated uh, from our feelings. It, it is best pictured when Jesus goes to the cross. Agape love is the love that God has for us when Jesus goes to the cross. It's not always easy. It doesn't always feel good. It's like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, when Jesus said to love your enemies. That doesn't even seem right. I, I know it doesn't feel right to love your enemies, to agape your enemies. Uh, my best analogy is how I love all the USC fans that are here in church. Uh, I, I don't really have warm, fuzzy feelings for you, okay? But I do love you. Amen? Amen? But it's an, it's an agape love. It's something God tells me to do. So everything, what I want you to know is in chapter 13 that everything in this chapter is describing agape love, the type of love that God has called each of us to have. Now, I have three major thoughts as we go through this chapter. And thought number one is your gifts, your talents, your spiritual gifts are meaningless without agape. Your spiritual gifts are meaningless without love now everybody say the word context i want to explain chapter 13 in the context of the book of first corinthians last week we looked at chapter 12 and we looked at chapter 14 and all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 14 is Paul writing to the Corinthians about their spiritual gifts. The people in the church in Corinth were focused uh, almost in an unhealthy way, an unbalanced way certainly. They were focused on spiritual gifts, especially the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, the gift of tongues, uh, and the gift of prophecy. And the people in the church were actually, you know, pitting one gift uh, against another. One person would stand and start to exercise their gift and show everyone in the church how spiritual they were. And someone over here would look over and say, well, I'm more spiritual than that guy. I'll show you my spiritual gift. And they would stand and exercise their spiritual gift. And pretty soon all over the auditorium, people were standing and exercising their gifts really in a almost a, a competitive way. They were arguing over these gifts. So all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 14 is Paul addressing the church uh, really on the, the misuse of their spiritual gifts and sandwiched in between. I hope you understand that word sandwich. Sandwiched in between chapter 13 is Paul saying, hey, 
For all of you folks that are focused on these spiritual gifts in 12 and 14, let's take a time out here. Let me tell you what's most important. And he has this text here in, in chapter 13. Look at the last 10 words of chapter 12. It's almost difficult to find in your Bible. Because in chapter 12, verse 31, they, take, they actually chop off, uh, you know, and, and when the Bible was originally written, it didn't have chapter titles and, and verse numbers. It was just all, it was one big letter. Uh, man came along later and put the verses so that it would be easier for us to locate. But the people who put in those chapters, they took the last 10 words of chapter 12 and they actually moved it down to the start of chapter 13. Do you see that in your Bible? And it says uh, at the end there, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now, here's what I think was happening. If you look up here for a second, I think Paul had all this stuff in his mind. He was going to write underneath the direction of the Holy Spirit, of course. And he's writing chapter 12 and he writes all, he's got a lot on his mind. Uh, Those are pretty big chapters. And he writes all and he gets all the way down to a certain point. Uh, He's got a whole lot more to go, but he goes, you know what? These people are going to be furious when they read all this. I I better take a time out and I better address the subject of love before I go on and finish what I have to say regarding spiritual gifts here in chapter 14. And Paul is just saying, he's saying, "You you folks are focused on these gifts and rightfully so. He's not, I'm not, I'm not even saying these gifts are unimportant because spiritual gifts are important. I want to say that to you again. Paul's not saying spiritual gifts are not important. He's telling you spiritual gifts are very important. But he goes, I want to tell you, even though they're important, I want to tell you what's even more important than spiritual gifts. And then he comes to chapter 13 and all it is is love, 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 love. I want you to say love four times to whoever you said four times. Love, love. There's a lot of love in this place today. Now I want to read through a few of these verses. Go to chapter 13 and let's look at verse 1. That's going to kind of walk. We're just going to walk. Everybody say walk. And kind of walk through this. Paul says, now you've got to remember all this in context of what's going on in the church. He says, if I, if I spoke... In the languages, the tongues, plural, of, of men. And not only spoke in the language of men, if I had the ability to speak angel talk, if I had, uh, I guess angels have their own special language, if I could speak in the tongues of angels. But if I didn't have agape, he says, I'm only a resounding what? Gong or a clanging what? symbol, which is just basically noise. It wouldn't matter what spiritual gifts I had. If I didn't have love, then whatever came out of my mouth would be nothing but noise, is what he's saying. Now look at at verse 2, verse 2. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy, and we learned last week over in chapter 14, the first five, six verses that Paul said, out of all the gifts, really, if you're going to seek one, you should seek that gift. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I I knew everything. And then he says, if I have a faith that can move what? How many of you like to have faith that can move mountains? I mean, just to look at a mountain, just move that mountain. Now, I want to show you a picture of last time I was in Corinth. Uh, This is what you see. Uh, 
you can see down on the bottom, you see all the ruins of Corinth. So if you go to Corinth, you're going to be standing in, amongst those ruins. Now, what is that off there in a the distance? What do you see back there behind uh, the ruins? Now, that, it's a mountain. Now, a couple of, that's really the only mountain you see when you're in Corinth. I mean, really. I mean, you can't live in Corinth. Wherever you're at in Corinth, you're walking around. You're looking at that mountain right there. Now, if you've been with us in our study, you'll know that that's no ordinary mountain. Because it was up on the slopes of that mountain where the temple of Aphrodite was built. And part of the culture, the worship in Corinth was people every day, daily, walking up to that mountain and entering into the temple of Aphrodite where there were 1,000 prostitutes and people would visit as a part of their worship one of those prostitutes. So then when Paul writes this letter, of course, they're down in the city. I I can't imagine how many times the Apostle Paul must have been thinking, boy, I'd like to get rid of that mountain. I I wish I could get rid of that temple and all the, everything that's going on up there. That would be wonderful if we could just move that, move that someplace else. So in this verse, go back to verse two, he says, if I had to get the prophecy, could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I had a faith that could move mountains. But if I don't have love, I am what? I'm nothing. Look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, I'm actually willing to die and lay down my life. But if I have not love, he says, I gain nothing. I want you to write those two things down. Without love, he says, I am nothing, I gain nothing. And what he's saying is that whatever you do, whatever abilities you may possess, whatever talents you enjoy, if you're not walking, talking, breathing, reflecting love, if you had the word love, L-O-V-E, you might as well get rid of the L and get rid of the V and get rid of the E and all you've got left is the O because that's what it's worth. It's worth nothing. If you don't have love, I have up here with me a bunch of $50 bills. See these $50 bills? These are not 20s, they're 50s. How many of you like $50 bills? Oh, yeah. Everybody loves 50s. And uh, I don't know if you've heard the story, but this man, he went over to the grocery store to buy some groceries and he reached into his billfold and he paid with a $50 bill. And he took his groceries and he went home. The man who owns the grocery store, uh, they had some electrical work. They had an electrician out to fix a a couple of small things, and it cost $50. And so the owner of the grocery store reached into the cash register and pulled out the same $50 and gave it to the electrician. The electrician, as he was driving home in his truck, he noticed that the gas gauge was low, low, so he pulled over into the gas station and he took the same $50 out and gave it to the gas attendant. And, and the gas attendant uh, was counting up the money in his, his drawer there. And the landlord who owned the land that the gas station was leasing from needed his, the rent payment that was due. And so the owner of the gas station took the exact same $50 and gave it to the landlord of the land. And then the landlord uh, had a daughter who was in college on the East Coast and that night he wrote a letter just telling the daughter, I've been thinking about you, and here's a little gift from your dad, and, 
enjoy this. And so the $50 bill went clear across the United States and the daughter opened up the letter and read this letter from her dad and saw the $50 and she needed the $50 because she needed another book and books are expensive in college. And so she ran down to the local bookstore and she picked up the book that she needed and she gave the same $50 to the guy who ran the, the bookstore. And then later that week, the bookstore man uh, wanted to deposit all the money. And when they went to the bank, the, the teller of the bank told the man that that $50 is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It's worth nothing. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to deface money. I understand, but this is all fake money. It just looks like 50. You see that? They look like $50 bills. They're not. They're fake $50 bills. You know, the government can print money. I figure I can print money. (laughs) How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they print it all day long, get away with it. Why can't I print money? I just don't do as good a job as they do, all right? So, so uh, we just decided here at the church, we're going to just start printing our own money. And it's perfect. It's perfect as long as you don't turn it over and look on the back side of it. And so here, here's what happened. Now, stay with me. There was a $50 bill that was used to buy groceries. It was used to pay the electrician. It was used at the gas uh, station. It was used uh, for, for the landlord to pay rent. It was used... Uh, for a man to send it to his daughter. It was used to buy books. And yet when that $50 went to the bank where true value matters, it was worthless. And in similar fashion, it's possible for you and I to use our spiritual gifts and to do all kinds of good things with those spiritual gifts. But when you stand before God, where real value counts, if what you've done here on this earth has been done without true love, it amounts to nothing. We know back in 1 Corinthians 3 that on the day of judgment that everything we've ever done will be tested in the fire. And Paul is saying here in chapter 13, I don't care how many spiritual gifts you have, I don't care how good you are at using those spiritual gifts. If you're using them for the wrong reason, if you're using them without love in your heart, it's meaningless. It's worthless. Point number two, your actions should mirror. Everything you do should reflect the qualities of love that you read in verses four through seven. Now, in your notes, I I want you to write all this down together because he explains what love does, what love does not, and what love does. What it does, what it does not, what it does. I think of the person with the flower who's picking the rose petals off the flower going, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. You know what I'm talking about? That illustration, that might have been happening 2,000 years ago. Because it looks like to me that that's what he does. Here's what love does. Here's what love does not. Here's what love does. And the first thing that he says in verse 4 is that love is patient and love is kind. I want you to say love is patient, love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. So he begins with patience. And patience has to do with people, with circumstances, with events. 
Now, all of these things, you have to remember the context. And the context is this. They're in church. They're trying to listen to the preacher. And someone stands up here and begins to exercise some gift and interrupts the preacher. And then someone stands up here and uses their gift. And now there's a battle going on. And now there's all kinds of people standing up and doing whatever they want to do. And there's some people who are upset by it. As you can imagine. And Paul says, hey... You need to understand that when you're dealing with people in church, you got to be patient. I'm always amazed by how many people quit the church when they get upset with someone here at the church. I've always said, can you imagine how big the church would be if no one ever quit? But it's like you come to church and you'll stay as long as you can stay until you disagree with someone here and then you take off and go to some other church like you're going to find peace over there and i've i've said this if you've quit another church and you came here you got upset at another church and you quit and came here and i find that out i will tell you don't come here because if you got mad over there (laughs) you're going to get mad here you've all heard that phrase if you ever find a perfect church don't join it because you'll ruin it right i mean look around look who's on your row just look at your row you're not going to agree with people on your row if if the only reason you come to church is because you agree with everybody here you're not going to stay here long that that's why in the setting of the church you've got to be patient with people amen and then and then he says kindness it's not that just you uh you're patient but then he says you add kindness You actually treat those who mistreat you with kindness. There's nothing as powerful as when someone mistreats you and you treat them with kindness. There's nothing as powerful as that. And that's really the story of Jesus because Jesus could have retaliated. He had the power to retaliate. He had 10,000 legions of angels at his disposal. He didn't need 10,000 legions. He only needed one. One angel could have wiped out the entire Roman army. He could have called any number of angels, but instead, he willingly goes to the cross. And when he dies on the cross, when he dies, think about this, in in the act of death, he's actually being kind to the soldiers who beat him. He's being kind to the people who stripped him of his clothes. He's actually offering salvation to Pilate who sentenced him and to peter who denied him and to people like judas who betrayed him so in a church man do not only be patient with one another someone's bugging you and making you upset be kind to them that's that's agape love in these uncertain times We know as Christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. If you feel the need right now for someone to pray with, we have phone counselors standing by, ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you are unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888-818-4777. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. 
Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, he would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing his people to take possession of the promised land. In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today. You will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.